This morning, we start a brand new series called Sensational Love, S-I-N, seeking the kind of love that leads to sin that we're about to look at. And it culminates on Easter with sensational love, the only kind of love, S-E-N, that is the kind of love that we should pursue and brings richest, deepest, long-lasting satisfaction to every one of us. And so we begin today by looking at this love that tries to pull us away from God, this love that takes us far away from God. It's the, the love that the culture is screaming out of us that we should be chasing down. You need this, you need that. It, it, it's the picture of, of taking these affections that are supposed to be for Jesus and putting them somewhere else. Culture is screaming, love this, love that, order this, buy this, have this. It's a nonstop advertisement and marketing mess of this is what you want, this is what you should have, this is what you need to add to your collection. And it's this picture of, pulling us away from where we can only find satisfaction and rich communication and community in Jesus Christ. It's in order for us to follow hard after Jesus and live to our redemptive potential, we must love the right thing or we will fall short. Culture, really, it's a non-stop advertisement and marketing mess. Buy this, do this, own this. Look, in in 10 days, you can look 20 again. You can own a house in 90 days. You can have washboard abs in three simple steps for 11 days. And so it pulls us trying to find a shortcut to seek something else that's far short of relationship that we can have alone in Jesus Christ. Today's author is going to show us that there's this culture screaming out there saying, go this way, go this way. And when we do, we end up far, far, far short of where God had intended us and what we could have in Jesus Christ. We need to love the right thing. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I'm talking about and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And if you need a Bible, put your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand so you can follow along and join us. But turn to the New Testament, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 15 to 17. And when you find that, stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Love the right thing. Let's read this out loud together. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Ready, read. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You may have a seat. So John is saying right away, love, it's good to love, but not the world. We need to define this word, world. Because in this short pericope, verses 15 to 17, look how many times he says the word, the word, world. Look, follow along. Do not love the world, one. Or in anything in the world, two. And if anyone loves the world, three. Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, four. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world, five. The world, six, and its pleasures, desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. John wanted to remind us 
Don't love the world. In fact, he said it six times in just three verses. So what is this world that he's talking about that we shouldn't love? We shouldn't love this, but we should love the Father. It's important that we define this word because it sets the stage for us understanding what we should love. This word, world, is translated as cosmos or constellation. It's the cultural moves of people. It's the open rebellion of humanity against God. It's the ungodly demonic systems of the world opposed to God. And so John is saying, don't love these systems. Don't follow anything or attach yourself to anything that's opposed to God. It's the culture that we live in. It's saying, this is how you should live. This is what's good for you. This is what you should own. This is what you possess. And it's screaming at us day in and day night, hour after hour, day after day. It's this system that's in place. And so what happens is, is that we think somehow because the culture says it's okay, then it's okay to do it. I mean, it happens at very young age. And here's how it plays out. All of us have been children at some time. And some of you are children now and that are parents. And so your child comes home and says, I want to do this. I want to wear this. I want to go there. Because everyone else is doing it. I want to have a smartphone by the time I'm in third grade. Because everyone else, don't you understand dad? Don't you understand mom? This is what everyone else has. And so because the culture has it, then we should have it too. When I was a kid, I'll take you back a few generations. When I would say something like that, my parents would say, so, if everyone says to jump off a cliff, are you jumping too? I mean, how many of you heard that? Like, that that was it. And I remember thinking, if there's water there, yeah, I'm jumping. But it's the same thing. Like, nothing's changed. We have this picture of culture still trying to define us as people, telling this is what we should do. We have a choice to love the world or love God. But you can't love both at the same time, John is going to show us here today. Let me just remind us of this truth too. You will never influence the world here by being just like it. Because influence means to do something differently. You don't want the world to say to you, I already know how to do what you're doing. I'm already doing what you're doing. Because if you're doing what the culture is doing, then there's no difference. As Christ followers, we live distinctly different than the culture, the world that's around us. You can't blame personality. You can't blame ancestry. You can't even blame gender. Like you can't say, well, I'm Irish and we like to drink. So I'm going to keep drinking and drinking and drinking till I'm drunk because I'm Irish. Or I'm Italian. I love to eat pasta. And we eat lots of pasta. We eat more than one serving. We eat two servings and three. And we just eat and eat and eat. And we gluttonize ourselves. No. You can't blame your ancestry. Or I'm a woman. And women like to shop. So I shop, shop, shop. Because I'm a woman. No. No, no, you can't. Or I'm a man. And I like speed. So I drive fast. Faster and faster and faster and faster because I'm a man. No, we don't have the permission to do that. That's what culture and ancestry wants us to believe. So keep in mind a very clear fact. The word world is culture. 
is anything opposed to what God has set in place. Now, you might be asking, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. Like, I know a very good verse that I learned at a very young age. And it's John three sixteen, For God so loved the what? World. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't John say we shouldn't love the world? God loves the world. Then I should love the world. Not only did he love the world, he, not only did he love it, he gave a gift. Well, wait a minute. God loves the world so much that he even gave a gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, Pastor Jim, wait a minute. This is saying don't love the world, but how can I follow the Father and not do what the Father does, which is loving the world? Now, let me explain what the word world in John 3.16 is. That word is completely different. That has the definition or the origin of people. God so loved the people. God so loved the created beings. World here is the evil systems under the grip of the devil. That's why 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. The God of this world, who is indicating and letting us know that it's Satan. He has major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of the majority of people and culture. His influence also encompasses world's philosophies, education, and commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from his lies and deceptions. Ephesians 2.2 even tells us this, that he's called the prince of the power of the air. John 12.31 says this, he is the ruler of the world. These titles and many more signify Satan's capabilities. To say, for example, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air is to signify that in some way he rules over the world and the people in it. However, let's pull away what we know to be true. This is not to say that he rules the world completely because God is in sovereign control over him and everything. But it does mean that God in his infinite wisdom has allowed Satan to operate in this world within boundaries God has set for him. So John is saying, let's pull away. Don't love the culture, the systems of humanity, the demonic principles that have been set up. Don't love those because they have been set up and set in place by Satan who I've given permission to permeate, to infiltrate society. But love the Father because when you love the Father, that is eternal. All this other kind of love is temporary and leads to death. In fact, I would say it this way. If we do love this world, then the love of the Father is not in us. Love for the world squeezes out. It pushes out the chance for us to love the Father. You can't love both. You can only love one or the other. Paul described this in an incredible way, what, when it really goes bad, when people do love the world. Turn to Romans chapter 1 and keep your finger here in 1 John. Romans chapter 1. And look at verse 24 and verse 25. Romans 1, verse 24 and verse 25. Look what Paul says in Romans 1, 24 and 25. 
Therefore, God gave them over, look at verse 24, in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the what? What's the word? Truth about God for a what? For a lie. And worshiped and served created beatings rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. We exchange truth for a lie when we love the culture, the world, the systems that man has set into place, that Satan runs. John reminds us to guard the truth and keep it as our filter when it comes to decision making. This is a stern command. In the original, it, it's, it's a command. It means, in fact, it even says, do not. It's even in the present form, which means it's not dumb one time. It means do not now, do not an hour from now, do not two hours from now, do not daily. It means every chance you have, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Do not. It's not a one and done decision. It's us every day making a willful choice with our permissive will to say no to the systems and the cultures of this world that are vying for our attention, that want to pull us away from God. Do not love the world or anything in it. And it will be a daily battle. That's why the present form in the original is do it all the time. Do it in the present. Do it every hour. And it says there is nothing that this world offers that's of any value to us. If it doesn't come from the Father, it's just temporary. In fact, look what happens. Verse 17, it says this. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There is even death to this system that Satan is ruling over in our world if we follow it. It seems appealing, If we look at it from the surface, like, wow, that would be great if I could own that, if I had that, if I was able to do this. Let me back up a few generations. Marketing has been around for years. There was a time that there was an internet, believe it or not, there was. And I lived during that time. And there was a time that when you wanted to get a Christmas toy, the only way you could have an opportunity to see it beforehand was through a catalog. And so Sears catalogs used to come out. And maybe some of you, I'm dating myself here, you might remember that. And a Sears catalog would come out, and so you would grab the toys section of the Sears catalog. And you would turn the pages, and you know what you would do? You would take a pen, and you would circle what you wanted. You ever been there? Anybody ever there? And so you would take this page, and you would hand it to your mother and your father, and you say, This is what I want for Christmas. And then if you got that blank stare from then, you would carry it with you and you take it to grandma and grandpa. This is what I want for Christmas. That was your only chance to know what you wanted. Move forward. It moved from catalogs to TV commercials. You see, when I grew up, Christmas time was also the time to advertise toys on TV. And so you would watch TV as a young kid waiting for the toy advertisements. And they would come on. And you would just be sitting there like, wow, look at that. And it would be kids that were laughing. It would be music that's blaring. And these toys look bigger than life. I remember the first time I saw hungry, hungry hippos on TV. 
I'm telling you, I thought I was going to die. It was like hungry, hungry hippos. And these hippos, you'd pull out the box and you could hit on this thing. And this hippo actually bit something. And it would grab it and pull it back. And you'd watch these kids, they're laughing, they're playing, there's hippos. And, and you could use physical force. And it was like, I want one of those. The world was saying, this is good. At the surface, it looked really, really incredible. But you know what? A hungry, hungry hippo come home to your house. You're excited. The kids are around and you open it up. It's like, it's here. There's one in my house. It's not on the TV. It's here. And so you open it up, and two days later, it's broke. (laughs) Like, they didn't show me that. So culture sets you up to say, this is long-lasting. But in reality, it ends in death. You guys remember Chia Pets? Like, the first time they came out, it's like, Holy cow, I can have this thing that grows hair. And it seemed so appealing. The music would be playing. They had their own little tune. And like everyone wanted Chia Pets. Because if you watered them, their hair would grow green. Like think about it. Like it was just, think about how they sold us. They sold millions of those things. And in reality, all you had to do is go in your front yard and plant grass and have the same thing. But somehow it seemed so good. Like, I remember the first time in a Sears catalog, I saw electronic football. Now, listen. Like, when I say electronic football, you would line up these little players on both sides, and you had this football field. And it was magnetic. And you would turn the switch on, and it would vibrate. And these little guys would move. And one had the football, and so you would line them up. And I remember hours sitting there, like... And as soon as... One of the defenders touched. It was done. Like, I can't believe we spent 50 bucks on that thing. It seemed so good. It left us so empty. And John is saying, listen, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the systems that God has in place are much better than the systems that Satan has in place that we want to lust after. You will end up empty with those and far, far, far from God. Now pull away. Let me define what lust is. Temptation isn't sin. Now, because I was looking at something or you're looking at something or a thought occurs to you and you think that thought, you're tempted to do something, buy something, purchase something, it doesn't make it sinful. It's what you do with that temptation. The second you take that enticement and you put it into motion and you grab it and follow through with it, that's when it's sin. Pleasure in itself isn't sin. But when you act upon it, that's when it becomes lust and it's sin. And so John is saying, don't act upon that temptation. Don't act upon that thought. Don't act upon that thing from the outside or the flesh that's coming within you. Because when you do, it is sin. Wanting your own way. That's what lust is. You feed, we want it our way. We want to do it our way. And when we can't get what we want, we can do some pretty selfish thing. It's an internal desire that has appetites, longings, and yearnings that are ungodly. And you act on them. 
It's lusting after alcohol. It's lusting after food, after porn, after houses, after possessions, after shoes, after dresses, after vacations, after kitchens. It's this picture of you seeing it and then lusting is I want it. And you think about it and it consumes the actions and attitudes going after it. The reality is love, on the other hand, is both mutually agreeing to lift the other person up. Lust is a one-way street. Me, me, me. For me, for me, for me. Think about that for a second. The more we are gratified, the less we are satisfied. Lust is when you want to be gratified by something. Love with the Father is where you are satisfied with someone. And so you know that you got it backwards when you find gratification from this choice to take this temptation or this thought that comes from the outside or wells up within your flesh or you see with your eyes. If you're seeking it for gratification, it's lust. However, love is the most, and God the Father brings you great satisfaction. Now let's talk about lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is possessions or wanting everything for yourself. Possessions in themselves isn't sinful. There's nothing wrong with owning something. There's nothing wrong with owning multiple things. But if they somehow take all your time managing them, protecting them, caring for them, collecting them, dusting them, storing them, watching them, listing them, if somehow they're taking more of your time than you can have for God and you find yourself worn out just walking out into the garage and managing and caring or walking to your closet and being overwhelmed, then what you've done, you've moved from loving to lusting something. And John is saying, no, we don't want lust of the eyes. We don't want lust of the flesh. And so, you know how it happens? We live in a society that we are almost like God when it comes to seeing things. Like everything that you want to see, all you have to do is Google. If you want to see what a really cool kitchen looks like, you can Google kitchens. If you want to see a vacation, what it looks like, you can Google vacation. If you want to see some cool boots or a cool dress or a cool suit or cool, cool jeans, you can just Google. If, if, you, if you want to see alcohol or wine or food, if you want to follow your friends on social media and, and if you keep following, you can find yourself wanting and saying, why don't I have what they have? You can follow friends and husbands and wives. We're almost like God. Everything that we want to see, all we have to do is look for it and see it. And while a phone in itself is not evil, intrinsically evil, but what you do with it can become. What you see, you have to be careful that you don't act upon. Let me explain. I struggle with those same same things that you do. Like, Like, I love walking into Lowe's store, and I like Home Depot. I love going to the tool section. I can walk in there and go, oh, I want that. I want one of those. I could stand there and just lust after these tools all day long. I've said this to my wife on many occasions. Like, sometimes 
if we go shopping or I go shopping, I say, sometimes I don't want to go because I don't want to see all the things I didn't know I wanted. (laughs) Seriously, isn't that the truth, though? Like, if you don't go, you didn't know that you wanted it. You know what want it means? Want means lust. So think about how we even, we don't even know we're lusting when we're in department stores. Here's what happens. Clerk comes up to you. One of the questions they'll ask you is this. Do you need something? What is often our response? No, I'm just browsing. What's browsing? Browsing is see if there's anything I want. I'm wanting something instead of needing something. Now, there are times we shop because we want something or need something, I should say. But often it's just we're just browsing to see if there's anything new that I might want. And John is saying, be very careful with your eyes. Because the very thing that you're looking at can cause you, can cause you to lust after it. So be very careful. By the way, just think about this. Context will not change the condition of our flesh. Adam and Eve were in a perfect place and they sinned. So, like, you could go to some remote island and there could be nothing but water and trees and fish to eat. And you could have lust of the flesh. Why? Because context doesn't drive these enticements that come from within us. They come from outside of us with our eyes, but context doesn't stop our hearts from wanting to lust. So ask yourself a question. What things that you own or long to own are you obsessed with to the point that they take too much of your bandwidth away from loving Jesus alone? Think about it this way. Take inventory of your life and ask, what is consuming your attention, time, and talents? Let's just make it very practical. How about summer schedule? Some of you are already charting out your summer schedule. How many Sundays would you be away from worship services because of an interest that you have placed above God that involves your kids? I want them to do this and do that and do this. How many things have you placed above God because of an interest that you have? I like to run races, and they're on Sundays. You can't run on Saturdays and Fridays? How many things are you placing on the calendar that you aren't even realizing that you have allowed them to consume your time more than fellowshipping and worshiping with God? How many unrighteous passions have you placed out there? I like to race cars. I like to run. I like to ride. I like to play. I like to camp. How many of you have camping Sundays on the calendar because that's what you want? Now hear me out. There's nothing wrong with camping. There's nothing wrong with your kids playing sports. But if it's consuming all of your time, then maybe you have displaced desires. Here's what I know to be true. All these things will pass away. It's temporary gratification. Only Jesus can bring lasting satisfaction. And what we feed grows. And what we starve dies. You can't feed lust and expect Jesus to grow in you. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 27. 20. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the human eyes. Our eyes are never satisfied. 
So we have to be vigilant and battling against the temptations that come our way. They're never satisfying. So whatever you look at just inflames your eyes for more, good or evil. Think about how pornography does that. Pornography has the sad effect of objectifying people into objects with parts, thereby divorcing a person from their body and consequently diminishing their dignity. It's not real. And it leaves you empty. Why do people keep going back to pornography over and over and over and over? Because what they think will bring satisfaction is only temporary gratification. And they keep coming back after it because it doesn't satisfy them. The only thing that satisfies you is Jesus Christ alone. And so John is saying, listen, 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 love the Father. Don't love the world and the systems that are set in place. That's why you end up empty. When I come to passages like this, I just want to pull away and remind us of something. Sometimes we just need reminded of who we are. You're not an animal that has no control over his passions or actions. You are the glory of God. You're not a pervert. You are the glory of God. You're not an attic. You are the glory of God. You are not a victim. You are the glory of God. You are not a fool. You are the glory of God. And the glory of God doesn't feed its eyes sewage. We are the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is triumphant, redeemed, powerful, and unstoppable because the groom can't be defeated. That's who we are. And so when I look at a passage like this, we need to pull away and remind ourselves that we have what it takes to win this battle over lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. Jesus is all you need. Lust is all you want. So how can we battle against this lust? How is it possible in the world that we live in that's coming at us in all kinds of directions, sending us signals that you need this, want this, have this, buy this, get this, now, it'll make you happier. How can we battle How can we battle against lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes? I'm going to give you six principles that I think are very, very helpful. I encourage you to write these down. Because you're you're going to battle. If you're male or female, you're going to battle. If you're human and you're breathing today, you will battle. And so here are some steps, some principles. The first one is this. Avoid as much as you can the very thing that causes you to lust and sin. Now, Emphasis on as much as you can. Possible and reasonable avoidance because you can't live like a hermit and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, not all desires for sex, food, and family are bad. But Paul said it this way in Romans 13, 14. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So listen, if you struggle in an area, don't go to that place and expect to be strong. If you like, like kitchens and you want new kitchens, and don't go to the kitchen shop. If you struggle with alcohol, don't sit in a bar. If you struggle with too much food, don't go to a buffet. Make choices. You are kidding yourself if you think you're strong enough. You're not. Secondly, 
Say, listen to me, say no to every lustful thought within five seconds, within five seconds. And say it with authority in Jesus' name out loud. No house, no food in Jesus' name. No porn in Jesus' name because when you speak it out and you speak and declare the name of Jesus, demons flee and Satan runs. So you got to get, you got to work vehemently at this. Speak it out loud when that temptation comes and just say, no, in Jesus' name. John Owen said it this way, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Thirdly, Move from defense to offense in your mind. What do I mean by that? Attack the promises of sin with the promises of God. Sin promises more than it can deliver. Stock your mind with superior promises of God. It's like, how do you do that? You memorize scripture. Please hear me. Listen to me, please. If you're not memorizing scripture weekly, then you're not stocking promises in your heart, in your mind. The word of God says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what against thee? Sin against thee. Listen, ladies and men, Christians, if you don't have a, a weekly Bible memory plan in each thing that you're part of in discipleship, then you're not allowing yourself to store away the print. You can't just read it and expect it to stay. There has to be a, a repeat motion. Your mind has to recall it and say it over and over and over again. Women's ministries, men's ministries, one of the things, men's ministry. Fight club. We, we memorize a verse every week. Why? Because we want men to develop the discipline of memorizing Scripture. Why? So that we can stock our minds with the promises of God when temptation comes. So, move from defense to offense. Fourthly, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't give in too soon. Let me pull away and just give you something, a very, very practical reality about our minds. Your mind is a muscle. And when you exercise it, it gets stronger. So you take thought, you take every thought captive, you're exercising your mind. And the more you use your mind, the stronger it gets. And the stronger it gets, the more ability you have to ward off. And there is an action that's been repeated and it will help you to fight it. So you fix your eyes on Jesus instead of the object or the thing that's coming out. You fix it on Jesus. Your mind says, Jesus, Jesus. You turn away and your mind is working hard. You fight with your mind. Fifthly, move to a useful activity and away from an idle one. You see, lust grows quickly in the garden of leisure. Move to a useful activity and away from an idle one. Get up and do something. Most times, when you're tempted, and then you want to act upon that temptation of lust, whatever it is, it's because you're in a sedentary position. You're sitting on a couch. You're in front of a mobile device or a TV. You are sedentary instead of active. So get up, go mow the grass. <laughs> do something with your time. Move and do it together. Build, sweep, create. Turn on your phone and worship Jesus. You can't worship Jesus and dance and lust at the same time. 
Move away from idleness. Idleness is a tool of the devil. Lastly, I would say this. Just crucify the flesh. We have been crucified with Christ. What do I mean by that? Have a daily crucifixion every day. Jesus came along, and he said these words in the New Testament. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, do what to it? Pluck it out. Crucify it. Jesus said, hey, if your hand causes you to steal, what? Cut it off. Daily crucifixion saying, no, no. I've been crucified with Christ. The righteousness of Jesus is with me. It's having a, instead of feeding your flesh and trying to get your flesh so close, crucify it. Cut it off. Have a daily crucifixion with whatever thing is causing you to stumble. In order to force the flesh into submission, you must deprive it of its power. That means you must deprive it of from getting what it wants. And it will starve and die. Please hear me out. Think about whatever your struggle is. Are you keep putting yourself in that place where you're tempted with it? Run! Cut it off! Let someone else go there. The things of this world, John is saying in summation, is a corpse yet to be buried. You are either reflecting a funeral home or a celestial home is what John is saying. We mirror whatever we believe. Are you mirroring culture, a funeral home, ends in death? Or are you mirroring Jesus, God the Father, which mirrors life, celestial eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Lust leads to an obituary. Jesus leads to celebrations and parties. By the way, it won't be easy. And we must put to death the cravings that pull us away and deny ourselves of the cravings tugging at our hearts. Following Jesus is not for the weak of heart. It requires letting go of all the sin that so easily entangles us. I would say it this way. You can't come after Jesus without denying your lustful desires. Kyle Alderman, in his book, Not a Fan, written many years ago, has a great illustration of the struggle that many deal with. And I'll read it to you. He says this. He says, I was at the gym last summer on one of the elliptical machines that faces the window. I was looking out at the parking lot and watching the people come in for a workout before heading home for the day. After a few minutes, a guy pulls up and gets out of his car. He's a large guy, and it takes some effort for him to get out of his small sedan. He's still in his office clothes, but I watch as he reaches in to grab his gym bag. He puts it over his shoulder and then leans into the car one more time to get something else. He emerges with a cup that has a red spoon in it. You get what's happening. The man is finishing off his blizzard from Dairy Queen as he walks into the gym for his workout. He stands right outside the window in front of me to take his final bites. I'm pretty sure it was cookie dough, Kyle says. He throws the empty cup into the trash and walks in for his workout. He wanted to get in shape, but he didn't want to make any personal sacrifices. 
You can't love the Father and lust after something else. You can't love God and love the world. It's either one or the other. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to show you a person that, that, that truly got this. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And just look quickly at this verse. And look at verse 24 to 26 in the great hall of faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 to 26 says this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be what? What's the word? Mistreated along with the people of God rather than to what? What's the word? Enjoy the fleeting what of sin? Pleasures. Lust. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his what? That's what John is saying. It's either you're preparing for a funeral or you're preparing for heaven. You're preparing for an obituary or you're preparing for a party and a celebration. You can't lust and crave things of the world and love God at the same time. So I have a question today. Do you love the world or do you love God? Are you craving things of the world or are you craving things of God? You can't love God and lust the world and grow in Christ. Lord, help us today. We know we need you, Lord. And the only way that it's even possible today for us to find victory is through you. Yet, Holy Spirit, you live in us. And we can battle. And we have what it takes. But even as John said in this passage, we have to daily do it. Do not. God, I pray that we would recognize that you're all we need. And you have all that we need to overcome. Lord, help us to need you more than anything. In Jesus' name, amen.